The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast, our off-season edition. I'm Joe Galina, and as always, I'm joined by my esteemed co-host and a guy who has a really, really keen baseball mind. How you doing there, Scott Chu? I'm I'm doing great. I, you know, I'm, I'm bummed we haven't been able to record this in a while. I've I've had a had a busy schedule, so I've had to cancel a few times. But I'm excited to be back doing this and and finding some stuff to talk about over the yeah. off season. You know, that's yeah. really really the challenge and. Lucky for us, we we got some stuff that came out just in the last week mm-hmm. that I think will be really interesting. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Good to be with you uh, again. It's it's been a while, and uh, I know you've been uh, traveling for business. Also, I, I know you've been been curling a little bit, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Curling season's back on. Have not done any fantasy curling yet. Have not gotten that set up. I want to do that soon, but I have been doing the real curling. I am just as terrible as I remember. So, so that's been fun. <laughs> yeah. I was excited to see uh, your Twitter posts uh, at if the chew fits uh, that you were curling the other night. And then I saw a commercial. I forgot that the winter Olympics are happening in February. So uh, we'll be watching some uh, Olympic curling. No. Oh, curling will be the talk of the town here in a couple months. <laughs> it, it, we're about to hit curling's prime time. Olympic curling. It makes up like 75% of the winter Olympics broadcast. Because it's wow. always going on. It's mm-hmm. one of these things. It's just sort of like, sort of there's like always on like ESPN classic after midnight. It's just like bowling, right? right? That's like, all, it's like all bowling and it's just on and you don't have to like know a lot about the game to enjoy watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can start sort of figure it out. This mix of like shuffleboard and, and uh, bocce ball and a couple other things. A lot of fun to watch. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is the time when everyone's like, oh yeah, curling. Oh yeah. yeah. Looking forward to uh, watching the Olympics and uh, looking forward to uh, watching you curl uh, as you tweet about it. Uh, awesome to see. And uh, just to give our audience a reference point, this is a baseball podcast, by the way. I know we were talking curling, but we're recording this podcast on Wednesday evening, October 27th. Game two of the World Series is happening. Uh, 28 teams watching from home. And uh, Scott, with baseball's collective bargaining agreement waiting to be hashed out once this, uh, the season is officially over, it's going to be a very interesting offseason there. Yeah, that's the news, right? You know, like you can't really start talking too much about what the season will be like until we know that they're going to play. Mm-hmm. You know, um, on one hand, it's been interesting to see a number of a number of folks come out and say that, oh, yeah, we feel comfortable. We think this is going to be done. Um, some of the teams have said that I'm, I would love that. Let's be clear. My, my greatest wish is that minor leaguers get treated properly, that players get a fair cut Mm -hmm. and that they play baseball. Right. However, for all those things to happen, a lot has to change. So it'll be very interesting to see how they do this. I think there's a couple foregone, foregone conclusions The the DH is coming. There's Mm -hmm. just. I just don't see how they how they don't make that move. They're going to add the DH to the NL. Um, I think that we're going to see um, like some of the stuff stick around. You know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they like expanded the playoffs. 
because right. hey, they're making money off of it. They, yeah, they make they make money. It makes sense for everybody to expand right. the playoffs, mm-hmm. right? Like only the grumpy old men don't like expanded playoffs. Like <laughs> let them play, let them play. Uh, so those are cool, but you know the real question, of course, will just be: Can they come to enough of an agreement to play? Mm-hmm. I think that they can't afford to have a work stoppage. You know, with uh, football as popular as it is, with the NBA as popular as it is, they can't afford to give those two sports even more, uh, allow them to have even more attention with with no baseball. So, uh, you know, hopefully things work out. But it's already shaping up to be a different kind of offseason. The Cleveland Guardians roller derby team is suing the Cleveland Guardians baseball team. They said they had the name first, Scott. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, dudes. if they did, if they did, they did, you know, um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure like why that hurts the roller derby team or, or the, or the baseball team, to be quite frank. I feel like that, you know, they, they could absolutely work together, right? Mm-hmm. Like roller derby's cool, you know, like have some fun with it. You know, yeah. I'm sure you both could use more attendance. So sure. why not, why not go with it? But I mean, if they want to be, you know, if it's going to be a knockdown drag out fight, you know, <laughs> if the roller derby team had it first, what are you going to do? Hey, the roller derby team is probably pretty tough, right? Uh, I yeah, wanna, absolutely. Yeah, keep it in the court. You don't, you don't want to have any physical confrontations here, but it just goes to show you a very slow uh, news cycle. You know, our concentrations on the World Series right now, but uh, every day it just seems that another potential candidate for the Mets uh, open position, uh, uh, president of baseball operations. No one wants to work for uh, Steve Cohen, it seems, uh, you know, and <laughs> it's just almost comical at this point. Oh, you don't want to work for a boss that is pushy, rude, and will call you out on Twitter all the time. You don't want you don't want that. That's that's not a plus. I mean, I would love it if my boss got on social media and bashed the job I was doing at any given moment when the team's struggling. I think that'd be really fun. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you know, uh, it's just been uh, kind of a, like I said, a, a slow news cycle. But as you mentioned at the top of the show, we do have. Some uh, avenues that we could start working on our off-season strategy. I mean, first of all, you you participated in one of the first mock drafts uh, of the off-season. There, Scott, I did with a, a bunch of my pitcher list buddies, including Nick Pollock. They've talked about it a little bit on some other podcasts, and um, I will be having a one-on-one with Nick to talk about it. I believe sometime next week, so that'll be a lot of fun. And while originally we probably could have talked about the draft in, in this podcast, I think we're actually going to talk about something more interesting because Mm -hmm. the thing about early drafts is that there's no information besides 2021 stats, right? So it's actually, it's a really challenging, but sometimes very fun exercise to try to make those ranks without other ranks and without projections. Right. Right. Like very few of us do our own projections because there's not a lot of good reason to, there are a lot of like free to view projections available on several sites that are really, really good. And drafting without them is really hard. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm very interested. You're a bunch of trapeze artists working without a net, right? You, You don't even know. Like usually you have some idea of what you're a, what your league mates draft board looks like Mm -hmm. to an extent though. It might have players up higher than you expected, lower than you expected, but you've all got, you know, you can use some consensus ranks to get some idea of what people are doing. Not in these early drafts, right? Like you can probably do it for like a round or two. You kind of know what everyone's thinking, but after that, you know, everyone's sitting there thinking, when do we take Jorge Polanco? Right. Mm -hmm. When do we take Willie Adamas? You know, when should we draft O'Neill Cruz? Like that, that's what's happening. So it's really, really difficult. And then you've got injured players. That's a whole nother thing. Cause we don't, we don't have a lot of information about how ready they're going to be in six months. Right. Right. In Actually, let me months. cut you off right there. You, did you hear about uh, Acuna? Ronald Acuna uh, is, he's prepared to start his season. He thinks he's not going to be ready until May. So, but you're right. I mean, when it comes to certain injuries, we just don't know. And, I, you know, and I noticed that he went 
I think second overall in that mock. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that might not even be wrong. Yeah. Right. Because he, he ended up as like a very good fantasy player despite missing a huge chunk of the season. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He does not need a ton of time, right? Like if he misses all of April, that's a problem. But if he comes back like in early May, he could, I don't know if he could be the number two player overall, but he could certainly be a first round worthy talent. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and there's always the chance that it goes faster. We don't know. He's young. You know, th- those kids are made of, you know, they're made of magic, right? Like they can get better in no time. So it's really, really hard to say. So I'm, it's really, that's a huge part of what you're trying to do. And, you know, you forget about players that were injured because they don't show up on like your leaders for 2021, mm-hmm. you know, cause like they were out. Um, you have to start wondering like, what do I do with a guy like Mike Trout? What do I do with guys who were uh, healthy for a full season? for darn near the first time. What Mm -hmm. do I do? I mean, there's just so many things you have to try to take into account that it's, you know, I know I keep saying it, it, it's really hard, but I I encourage people to do an early mock draft. uh, If you get the opportunity simply to see how it's shaping up those early mock drafts actually also shape a lot of ranks that come out in the off season, Mm -hmm. right? People look at those, look at those drafts, be it expert or not to see like, what are people thinking? right? Because projections only tell you like a certain type of outcome, but you don't always know what people think a player's ceiling is, right? Projections will put a Byron Buxton or a Cedric Mullins in a certain spot, but people might push them up or down their boards based on risk, right? Mondesi is another guy who is really hard to deal with in terms of projections because the ceiling is so high, Sure, right? You don't care about the, you know, the projection for him isn't what you're after. You're after the ceiling. So how are people going to deal with that in drafts, right? Um, especially if you're in like the NFBC context where there's like an overall, you know, people will do weird things for high ceilings because it gives them a shot, right? So right. it's really interesting to see how your league mates hedge risk when we don't really know what the risks are yet. Yeah, not great point. And, uh, you know, then you have your league mates that, may focus, may value certain statistics uh, very heavily. Uh, the stolen base is always a, a question mark. And you brought up Mondesi. And, and Mondesi, as soon as he's in the lineup, he's stealing bases. And, and uh, you're looking at the steamer projections, which we're going to talk about in depth. Uh, looks like they have him for a 41 stolen bases next season. Yeah, and, and that's not with a full set of playing time. 136 games. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. It is. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. the full set of playing time. Mm-hmm. When does that happen? When does Mondesi play 136 mm-hmm. games? When does he get 520 at bats? Mm-hmm. Like, when does that happen? How, how? Like, I just, I, I am so far from seeing that as a reality, right? Mm-hmm. Like I see it with other players. I don't see it for him. And so, you know, he's never, I mean, he hasn't even really been particularly close ever right like he did steal 43 bases in 2019 in 102 games but that's a far far you know that's a far far different story than 138 right so he did play the full season in 2020 but that was only 60 games and he only played 35 games this last season mm-hmm. and it's not as though his plate discipline's getting better everything else about his game is getting worse so i'm you know he he's a guy that projections almost don't matter because it's all about taking the gamble. Do you take the gamble and have him be a, an elite shortstop for fantasy or do you pass? Let someone else take him at the crazy price that they'll take him and you play a different game. Yeah. So cause that's me, a lot of stolen base eggs to put in one basket. Absolutely. Yes. So, so tell me, I know it's real, real early in the off season, but you've already done one draft what have you learned from it, if, if anything? And, and have you kind of, you know, developed a strategy? And I know that it's way early, so the strategy on October 27th might not be the strategy that you use, you know, in, in the middle of March when you're drafting. But what you, you learned so far? You know, I'll tell you the first thing I learned, and, and I'm glad that it panned out this way in the steamer projections, but second base went from being like the, the roughest position to find, 
to find value to a position where there's quite a bit of it mm-hmm. to be found, right? Like short second base all of a sudden became deep. It's not shortstop or anything like that, but it's a deep position. So that was something that I found really interesting, especially when in like in the pitcher list version, we did the Yahoo format. Yahoo format doesn't have a corner infield, doesn't have a middle infield, has two utility spots and only three outfield. So right. hit it like hitters are there's a lot of hitters available late, right? A lot of really good hitters available very late. And at second base, there's just there's a lot of stuff to look at. There's a lot of players, like not just players who were interesting from a uh, you know, they've been good for a while standpoint, but then there were other players that were interesting just from like, oh, is that is that what Steamer thinks they're going to do? Mm-hmm. So I mean, guys like Jorge Polanco coming out being, you know, being good, that was that was a big deal. Jonathan India having his breakout season. That was, um, you know, that was a pretty big deal. It was interesting to see what they did with like Kike Hernandez. You know, that was, that was really interesting. Jonathan scope will still be out there. He'll be a decent second baseman, um, mm-hmm. all, all kinds of guys that I think really just added a lot of depth to that, to that position that we just haven't seen in quite a while. Yeah. So we, we, we're going to talk some, uh, steamer projections, uh, Another resource that we have available and one that, you know, I haven't really used that much uh, is the auction calculator. So tell us a little bit about the the auction calculator. Yeah. So Fangraphs has one. It's really cool. And basically what you can do is you can pick, you know, you can pick the system you want to use, the projection, right? So you can pick steamer, uh, not the steamer rest of season, but just steamer. And it'll tell you like it'll it'll put those stats into a big auction like an auction dollar value generator. So it's it's really cool because it's one thing to look at stat lines, then it's another to be like, yeah, but what does that mean from a, you know, how do you compare these two players especially who do very different things? Right. Right? Like how do you compare a a Trey Turner and a Bo Bichette? Right? Because they bring different things to the table. So the auction calculator helps you do that by just adding dollar values to players. And it gives you an idea of, you know, what's, what's, you know, what players are up higher than you might think, who's lower than you might think. And it does a better job of doing that than a stat like weighted runs created plus a stat I really like, but a stat that doesn't really care about stolen bases. And we care about that in fantasy, a stat that doesn't really care about plate appearances. We care about that in fantasy. So these auction calculators do a really nice job putting better context around um, what makes that player good? It's especially hard with catcher, right? Because they play different amounts. They, you know, they have weird production. You you have to swallow like you know. You see a two thirty one batting average, and you're like gross. And you're like, oh wait, it's catcher, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like I think that might be good for a catcher. Um, and a lot of the catchers that hit for average have no power. A lot of the power hitting catchers have no contact, so they're hard to compare. And the auction calculator does a nice job pulling them up and and you can set your league settings. You know, you can do, Oh, this is a 12 team league, a 15 team league. Um, we do use five outfielders or three. You can pick all your positions, pick the stats you use. It's, it's really cool. So it's a place I usually go to start Mm -hmm. one caveat right now with the steamer auction calculator. Certain players don't have any playing time set to them yet. A a couple big ones, right? Ronald Acuna, Mm -hmm. Mike Trout, Joey Votto, a lot of these players, because they have injury concerns, Steamer doesn't really know what to do with their plate appearances yet. Mm-hmm. So it's generated like uh, weighted runs created plus for them that that it projects. And there's also Steamer 600, which is a, you can't use it for the auction calculator, but this really cool thing that says, all right, if we gave everybody 600 plate appearances at our projections, where do they, you know, where do they end up? Mm-hmm. And you see some weird stuff on there, like uh, Terrence Gore, it tells us that like, Steamer 600 says Terrence Gore would steal like 40 something bases, but he'll never get that many plate appearances, right? Because he's a pinch runner, like it's his whole career. Right. So <laughs> you have to like weed out some of the noise there, but you can see what it thinks of, you know, especially for like minor league guys. Like if you're interested in what like a Riley Green is going to do next season, if he got 600 plate appearances, he mm-hmm. won't. But what if he did? Or O'Neill Cruz, what if he gets 600 plate appearances? What yeah. does that look like? Steamer mm-hmm. does that for you. So, so it's really cool. That's another place to look in addition to the auction value calculator, simply because that auction calculator really cares about playing time because you need playing time to generate dollar value. So right. if you don't have playing time, it's not going to 
put you in there at all. So Mike Trout isn't really in there mm-hmm. because it doesn't have any playing time for him yet. It will eventually, but it doesn't yet. So right. Right. That, that's just a big caveat here. So I'm going to give ranks. Like I might say, oh, a guy's like a top 12 or top 15. I'm fudging that a little bit. If you were following along in the calculator, it'll look like I went too low. And it's because I'm trying to bake in the fact that there might be a couple guys that are rated that will be ranked above them that just don't have playing time added to them yet. Right. So let's take a look at uh, some positions. I know you had mentioned uh, in, in our show prep, there are a couple of guys that really stuck out at you. I, I'm looking at first base and, you know, first base over the past few years has been, it, it, it hasn't been as deep as it was, you know, several years ago. I mean, you can obviously find uh, some nice players, but, it seems to there seems to be a, a drop off after uh, uh, the first few. I mean, you know, Vlad Guerrero, n- number one, and I'm looking at the auction calculator has him at uh, forty one dollars and sixty cents. It's on a range of on a, a budget of two sixty, right? There, Scott. Yes, yes, it is the, the is standard. Usually, you know, yeah, the standard uh, auction uh, value of a, of a fantasy baseball team. But I, I know you, uh, Schwindel at, at number 11, he kind of raised you some eyebrows, right? Yeah, he sure did. I mean, obviously you probably remember Frank Schwindel being just one of the hottest hitters in all of baseball to close the season, 14 home runs in 64 games. He stole two bases, hit 326, slugged 591. This was a guy who had been a journeyman, uh, all over the league. We actually talked about him in our show and I, you know, I can't take any credit for saying like, oh, I saw it coming. The only thing I remember saying, and it's sort of proven true, is that there's a reason this guy has been on a lot of teams twice. Teams, teams kept taking second looks at him, and it looks like the Cubs were finally the ones to sort of hit pay dirt. Mm-hmm. But I was stunned. Steamer projected 30 home runs, four stolen bases, a 268 batting average, obviously a lot lower than that 326. But I was stunned that that's a top 12 to 15 first baseman. That's relevant in, in every format. Mm-hmm. And essentially what it did, you know, what steamer did for better or worse is said, yeah, we believe what he did in those 64 games. You know, we think that that's pretty legitimate because if you, you know, if you sort of like, you know, stretch that out and, and that, especially that power pace over 64 games, th- that's pretty close. So I'm, I'm surprised at steamer, which is, historically one of the most conservative that we see in terms of projection systems, especially on players who haven't had a lot of success before. I was surprised to see that it, it was very, very rosy on Frank Schwindel. And that's something I'm really going to be paying attention to as draft season starts to get closer and closer. Mm-hmm. A couple of guys uh, that uh, stick out at me, Kyle Schwarber at number eight. Um, you know, I know he, he had his very, uh, hot spells and, and whatnot, but Kyle Schwarber at number eight and Jose Abreu, why does Jose Abreu never get any respect? He's at number 12, according to the auction calculator. He's a guy that batting uh, 290 for his career. I mean, you can always count on him for 30 home runs and, and close to 100 RBI. I mean, would you really rather have a Schwarber over uh, an Abreu as your first baseman? No. <laughs> I mean, no, I wouldn't. Uh, Schwarber's a really, a really interesting case. Steamer loves the, you know, it really loves the, the power there, of course. And it's projecting a full season, which Schwarber has done. Of course, he did it in 2019. He did it in 2020 in the short season. Uh, it, it just, you know, it thinks he's going to hit 36 home runs. That'd mm-hmm. be uh, pretty much what he was in, in 2019. Um, and, you know, that'd be really cool. I, I'm not sure I buy that. That, that seems a lot nicer to him than I would probably be, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how other projection systems treat him. And then also what that does to his draft stock as a mm-hmm. first base outfielder. So, you know, he's going to be really interesting. And I wonder if a couple more projections like that make Jose Abreu a good value at first base. Once again, it's crazy. This guy can keep finishing as a top seven first baseman and be a good value all at the same time. Yeah. I I mean, I know he he batted two fifty six last season, way below his career average. Uh, I'm talking about Abreu, but he still uh, finished as the number six first baseman on the same auction calculator in 2021. Like Mm -hmm. he has, he has his like worst batting average, like ever. And he's a top six first baseman, yeah. you know, right ahead of Max Muncy, Pete Alonzo, Joey Votto. Mm-hmm. What do you want the guy to do? He's just good. 
what about the uh, disparity in price? And like I said, you know, auction calculator is something that I really haven't used a lot. So I'm going to lean on you for this. Uh, the dollar difference between a Vlad Guerrero Jr. and a Freddie Freeman. Uh, Vlad is almost at 42 bucks, and, and a Freddie Freeman they have at about 26 That seems to be pretty much a, a, a large discrepancy there, no? Yeah, it is. Part of that is because it thinks Vlad's going to hit 43 home runs and drive in 120 runners. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's got Freeman at 30 home runs, 93. And what the auction calculators will really like to, oh, and it's projecting Vlad at a 307 season and Freeman down at a paltry 291. You know, like what a scrub. But yeah. <laughs> what it, what it does is it will also take the elite players and drive their value up mm-hmm. because it's basically saying like you're getting so much production out of one spot, right? Like out of all, the first baseman, it has, you know, Vlad Guerrero getting 12 more RBI than anybody else. Right. And, and, you know, obviously 20 more RBI than most people. It only projects three guys at hundred RBI. So it's, it's one of these things where it always pumps up the elite players. It has Vlad Guerrero jr. I think is the number one hitter uh, for fantasy. So it, it's going to bump his value up even higher and add that sort of like premium tax to it. So that'll explain a big part of the disparity. And the other part of the disparity is it just thinks he's quite a bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else stick out to you at first base? Um, you know, I, I think I was, I, I liked that it, it was very respectful to, I think Jared Walsh, I think a guy who's going to get a lot of off season buzz again is Ty I like France. The, I like the way you put, you put that respectful. <laughs> to, to Jared Walsh, who who did have an up and down season, um, mm-hmm. Ryan Mountcastle, it, it likes a lot. I think it really believed in his second half surge. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it. it I'm not going to say that the projection on Yuli Gurriel is all that rosy. It's like 18 home runs and like a bunch of other Yuli Gurriel stuff. But you know, I'm I've always been hard on this guy, and my buddy Carl from work always gives me grief about it. And then the guy goes and like wins batting titles for no particular reason. So I'm really curious to see how the fantasy community reacts to Yuli Gurriel one more time. Cause if we really get like, there's like one more season in Yuli Gurriel and they're going to probably keep batting him fourth or fifth in this lineup. So like, what is he like? They're only projecting 78 RBI, but I sort of can't tell why I, I think that he might get a lot more than that. Right. I mean, he only had 81 this season, but he he hits 319 he hits 300 you know yeah i was happy he was uh on an auto new team that i inherited and he was one of the guys his price uh, point uh made him worthwhile for me to hold on to and i'm very happy that i did last season because like you mentioned the 319 batting average and 81 rbi uh, nothing to sneeze at so uh let's move on to second base you had uh, mentioned uh that Traditionally, over the past uh, couple of years, it's been one of the uh, more scarce positions, but you're seeing some value here. Yeah, and the way it works is pretty interesting. Obviously, the top of the heap is Trey Turner. And it's in a sense, it's like Trey Turner and everyone else, because what's really interesting, if you look at the dollar values on the right, usually you see like a couple tiers happen up there, but this one is pretty blended. Like really everything from like number three down yeah, is, is really blended. Like there's, there's not a ton of changes in value, mm-hmm. right? Like Whit Merrifield is not that much more valuable than Brandon Lau. Who's not that much more valuable than Cattell Marte. Who's not that much more valuable than Jorge Polanco. So I'm wondering if something like this drives a lot of folks to wait on, on second base and really let sort of let the chips fall. And tar- you know, I think a lot of people will target a guy like a Jonathan India, um, a Jazz Chisholm, who you know they project to have over twenty home runs, over twenty stolen bases. The batting average will stink, but whatever. Uh, Ty France, Javi Baez comes down at like sixteenth, and yeah, it doesn't think he's going to hit that well, but he's going to put up tons of counting stats. Jonathan Scope has a decent projection; he's all the way down at nineteen. Ryan McMahon no. at twenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jake Cronenworth down at twenty three. Right. Like that's, that's interesting to me. I mean, even Luis Arias down at, down at 24, cause it thinks he's going to hit, you know, 
a million or something like that, right? He's going to hit like 600 or whatever they project into because he's got an insane hit tool, but it's a really, really deep position. And it takes a long time before you really start feeling like, oh man, there's nothing left. So I think middle infield is going to be especially strong this year, thanks to like the depth in second base. Mm -hmm. So I wonder how that, how people react to that because they're probably very used to being like, oh, second base, you got to put a premium on second base. And I'm not sure you do anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, shortstop, when you talk about the middle infield position, shortstop was super deep. But uh, I see what you're saying in terms of, uh, you know, some uh, second baseman, uh, you know, coming into their own a little bit. You mentioned uh, Jonathan India. I want to ask you what you think of uh, a guy that plays for my team that I'm kind of down on, uh, Gleyber Torres. has him at 22 home runs uh, on the season and a 266 batting average. Uh, I, I don't know what to do with him next year. I'm kind of really down on him. Where do you stand with him? Well, I, I don't stand nearly as high as Steamer does, right? right? Because they've also got, you know, they've got 13 stolen bases. They basically think he's just going to go back to normal mm-hmm. for the most part with slightly less power. And that's really interesting to me. It's got him playing that full season. The counting stats aren't very good that they give him, which is interesting. I don't remember exactly how they do that, but yeah, they, they really, I mean, I don't know if it's like the playoff performance where, you know, he was, he was very, you know, he's been very good in the postseason uh, throughout his career. Like, I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know because his season was terrible. Yeah. Right. Like all he had were those steals. He started stealing bases because you know, he almost never got on base. I mean, he had an okay on base percentage, but like he only hit nine home runs in 127 games. And they're like, nah, he'll go back to 22. It's fine. Like, I I don't get it. I don't get it. And I won't be terribly interested, but if the other projection systems are even close to this friendly, he'll be right back on draft boards. Yeah. Watching him play every day. As you know, I'm a Yankee fan. Um, First of all, he doesn't hustle. <laughs> so that, you know, I have a problem right there. Um, and, you know, they keep on making excuses for him that, you know, he had been moved to shortstop and they feel that, you know, uh, that might have played with his head. And maybe he took the worries about having to play in an unfamiliar position with him uh, every time he came up to bat. But, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, only nine home runs in uh, 459 at bats last season had. 38 back in 2019, but just three in 42 games in, in the, the, that wacky 2020 season. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you that I think Steamer is just a little bit too optimistic here. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's also the fact that he is still only 24 years old. He'll be 25 when next season starts. So maybe they just, you know, they think the aging curve, you know, is going to be a little friendlier. Uh, and, and maybe it'll look a little more like his his rookie season. Mm-hmm. But if, and if that happens, that's really cool, and I'll be really happy for him. But he had a 107 ISO last season, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, so I'm probably not that interested. Yeah, uh, Gavin Lux had a tough year last year, but then he ended up coming back uh, after spending some time. Uh, I think he was even that uh, they demoted him, right? Or he was on the IL, and then he started playing some outfield for the Dodgers. Uh, any interest in Gavin Lux at this point? as like a sleeper. No, he's got two problems. Number one is that he got demoted because he was terrible. (laughs) Like he was really not that useful to the Dodgers. And yes, he is young. He's going to be 24 next season, but like he, he was quite bad. He, he showed some life when he came back up, but you know, the thing with the Dodgers is, is twofold. It's not just whether like if Galvin, Gavin Lux played, could he be good? Sure. But with the Dodgers, there's also the question of, will they play him? They don't need to. They Chris, Chris Taylor's still there. Um, they, they're a team that's still trying to gear up to win championships. They don't need to like let Gavin Lux develop at the major league level quite yet. Mm-hmm. Like He's not so old that he can't find value in AAA. It's not like he was that good in AAA also. You know, he only played 17 games there, and he hit 279, but he only slugged 382. He had a 82 WRC plus in those games. Um, so you, it's not like he was so good in triple a that they can't send him back down. Right? right. Like I, I don't really know what the Dodgers want to do with him. And until I know, 
I'm probably out because so far what we've seen in 144 games is 12 home runs, seven stolen bases and a 233 average. Like that's not fantasy relevant outside of NL only leagues. Mm-hmm. So we, I've, I've got to see either like some, some crazy change or I need to see like a guaranteed role. And even then I'm not sure I'll believe it. Right. All right. Let's move over to a very deep position. As we mentioned, shortstop. And here's a guy that you and I have spoken a lot about over the uh, past year of doing our podcast together. Uh, Tatis, Fernando Tatis Jr., obviously having a perennial issue uh, with the shoulder injury, uh, elected not to have surgery on the shoulder injury this offseason. Steamer projects him for 40 home runs, 93 RBI, and 23 stolen bases. Obviously, when this guy plays, I mean, this guy could take two weeks off and spend it on the IL, comes back the next day, just, you know, mashes the ball. In redraft leagues, you know, I'm going to be avoiding him. Uh, I, I I personally will uh, because, yeah, I mean, he was on the IL on and off uh, last season. And like I said, when he came back, was, you know, just basically picked up where he left off. But what happens if he can't come back, it, it, it's not just like a, a two-week rest and then he's back. If he's out for half the season and you're wasting a first-round pick, where do you stand on Tatis in redraft leagues? Yeah, so really interesting. It's sort of looking like he's not going to have shoulder shoulder surgery during the yep. offseason. Yeah. That, um, and, and here's the thing. He missed time. He probably missed about 100 plate appearances. And he ended as the number five hitter in fantasy. Right. And he's actually number four if you don't give Sal Perez a bunch of extra points for being a catcher. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so he was a top five hitter, a top five hitter. And he played like he had a hundred, he had almost like a hundred fewer plate appearances than the rest of the top five. And he's right there with them. That's wild. Mm-hmm. He's oh, unbelievably good. Yeah. And so, like, there's a lot of depth in the first round. So like you can sort of say I'm passing mm-hmm. on him and still probably get a very good player, but like he will be taken in the first half of the first round and should be mm. like to me. I just, I don't see how he doesn't go in the first, you know, one to five picks. Right. I mean, you might have like a very conservative room, push him down to maybe fifth, but that's like, even that is probably unlikely. Mm-hmm. All right. He's too good. No, no. What I said before, I agree with you 100%. As soon as he's in that lineup, he's amazing. No doubt. Just the issue is what happens if, you know, this shoulder injury isn't something that where he's able to bounce back after just maybe a two-week stay on the IL where he's forced to miss, you know, a half a season. And I know if he misses a half a season, he's likely to hit 25 home runs and and steal 15 to 20 bases and bat 300. No, you know, I mean, he has that kind of talent. It's just, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just too conservative in the way that I construct my team to take him uh, in the first round when there's uh, other talent there. But that's just me. Let me just lay one number on you. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. He has 1,175 plate appearances in his major league career so far. He's slugging 596. He's hitting 292. Like, that's insane. Yeah. He has 81 home runs, 52 stolen bases. Can't uh, argue with the talent. No. Yeah, he's he's so good that I, I just don't see I don't see how anyone can pass on for too long. Like, if you if you project him for 120 to 130 games, you're still looking at a 35 to 40 home run season and probably 20 to 25 stolen bases. Mm-hmm. You put those numbers on anyone else, you're like, yep, that's first round, especially when they hit, you know, 280. So, I mean, that's why he's going to be taking the first round. I understand the hesitation, uh, especially based on like your own risk profile in the first round, but someone's going to take him in the first probably four picks. Yep. Tell me about a couple other guys here. Uh, Francisco Lindor. Uh, <clears throat> Steamer has him at 29 home runs, 13 RBI, 250 batting average. You see him bouncing back. Do you think that that's a little too conservative on Steamer's part? I mean, that's that's not what I expected to see, especially because 
he also wasn't that good in 2020. And so it's sort of projecting him to be this like mostly better version of himself for some reason. And I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. So until I get some better idea, until I do some like deeper diving into like a Francisco Lindor, he doesn't look quite that good. He looks good. Like, I'm not going to say he's not a good player, but I, I just, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how you reconcile and make him quite so. I mean, they've got him as the number 10 shortstop. They've got him right behind Xander Bogertz, right above Carlos Correa, right? Um, I don't see myself considering Lindor when Bogertz or Correa are on the board. Like, I, I just don't see, like, it's not really a thought. I'm like, oh, but what about Lindor? I don't care about Lindor when right. Bogertz and Correa are on the, are on the, I'm going for Bogarts right there. No doubt. Yeah. I don't think it's super close. I also, you know, with Correa, I I don't think I'd need much talking into, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think I'd probably take Correa there too. I guess it's mildly dependent on where he ends up, but I really don't care. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess, you know, somewhere around like 12 to 15 seems right. Cause then you're starting to talk about like crazy risk Mondesi, um, Polanco, who sort of looks like, you know, he's got a bit of a one-year wonder to him. Willie Adamas, who didn't really take off till he left that team. Jess Chisholm, who will really hurt your batting average. Like, you're starting to get into that range, then sure. Mm-hmm. But not, like, he stands out to me when you look at this top 11 uh, as the guy that you're like, what are you looking at him for? Right? Like, what do you, what do you need Lindor for if you can look at the rest of the top 11? Yeah. Anybody else on this uh, shortstop list that sticks out at you? Yeah. So O'Neill Cruz, mm. O'Neill Cruz is the prospect as well. <laughs> yeah. O'Neill Cruz uh, prospect for the pirates. He's a six foot seven shortstop. That's the first thing you learn about him. He's got crazy raw power hit tools. Not great. Which is a little scary um, because you know, yeah, that's a big strike zone uh, for, for a very big man. So I, I think the power is very, very real. Mm-hmm. What Steamer's projecting is that he's going to play 110 games, that he's going to hit 19 home runs and steal 13 bases and hit 280. Mm-hmm. That's pretty wild for a guy with uh, nine major league plate appearances <laughs> and only 29 plate appearances in AAA ever. That's the same right? amount of home runs they're forecasting for Wanda Franco. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, <laughs> he, he's, uh, that's, that's wild. So uh, I'm really interested to see how this plays out. Um, I do think obviously he's going to get a chance to play. I think he's going to get a chance to, to be the shortstop for maybe most of the season. Mm -hmm. Uh, the strikeouts are going to be a problem at some point. I think, uh, it's a big strike zone and he's got a lot of arm to swing. Uh, he's, he's historically had, you know, he got quite a bit better with it in the minors this last season, getting that strikeout rate below 25% for the first time, uh, for, you know, I mean, he did it once before one, maybe twice, but, he got it down, but will he be able to do that against major league pitching? I'm not sure in a Yahoo style league. I, I just don't think there's an, I, I don't have the risk appetite for that because there's not a middle infield. I right. think he's going to be a very, very popular guy to talk about, especially in those like ESPN style or NFBC style leagues next year. Hmm. So I wonder if his draft stock just keeps getting pushed up and up and up because people love the shiny new prospect. Yep. Absolutely. So we're looking at steamer projections, comparing them to the auction calculator uh, at Fangraphs. And we're going to be talking third base, which is a position with a big drop off. And uh, we'll talk third base right after this. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code 
podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. All right, Scott. So third base position, um, looking at the auction calculator, Jose Ramirez is basically, it's him and Devers. And then you have a somewhat of a, a, a pretty significant drop off. I mean, uh, Machado obviously uh, is a, a, also a very good player, but I think that when it comes to third base, Ramirez and Devers right at the top, right there, top tier. Yeah, really interesting this position because very few other positions drop off so hard so fast, right? <laughs> they only project seven third basemen to be double-digit dollar players, right? Like, that that sounds like, oh, well, it can't be that. I mean, they it's 15 second basemen as double-digit, you know, dollar value players. It's 16 shortstops. It's 16 first basemen. The only other position with that few is catcher. (laughs) Catcher. Mm -hmm. Catcher has seven. Third base has seven. Right? That's insane. So, I mean, obviously, Jose Ramirez, very top of the bunch. Rafael Devers, great season. Austin Riley, huge breakout. You know, that's cool. Uh, it, It loves Justin Turner. You know, having him play 600, you know, get 612 plate appearances. It likes that. But then after that, God, it looks like a garbage dump, mm-hmm. right? So you get Ramirez, Devers, Riley, Machado, Arenado, and then Turner, Bryant. And then you start getting into the dregs, right? McMahon, Escobar, Seeger, Luis Urias, Josh Donaldson, Heimer Candelario, Joey Wendell, Josh Harrison, right? Getting really ugly, really fast. Like just to put this in perspective, Ryan McMahon comes in as the number eight third baseman. He comes in as the number 16 second baseman. Like that's just think about that. Even from like a year ago, third base goes from this deep position to what looks like by far the most shallow non-catcher position. Mm -hmm. So really, really interesting to see what happens there. And a lot of that is from really rough seasons from guys like DJ LeMahieu, Yohan Mankata, Matt Chapman, Eugenio Suarez, like all these guys struggled like so much. Alex Bregg, I mean, it hates Alex Bregman. Uh, It doesn't think he's going to play that much, but you know, drives him way down. It's, it's crazy to me. You know, it's not a big fan of Cabrian Hayes. It's not a big fan of anybody. So What's going to happen? Like, there's no way Joey Wendell is the 14th third baseman off the board when draft season comes. I'm curious as to who will get the big bumps, right? Who's going to get, because it's not like Matt Chapman and Eugenio Suarez are outside of the top 20 because of playing time. It projects them for full seasons, right? It just doesn't think they're going to be any good. Mm -hmm. So let's see what happens. I'm so this, this is the one position I think that I'm the most curious about as drafts go on. And I think the one that people will have to be the most ready to attack and be ready, like to have two or three strategies that they can use in draft season, because that first one might not work. You might be like, Oh, I'm going to get a top four, you know, a top four third baseman. And all of a sudden it's the start of the third round. And you can't, you're done, right? They're gone. So what's going to happen. Is there anyone specific other than, you know, like a, a Ramirez Endeavors that you see yourself taking a little later? I, I know in your, your mock, I'm not going to hold you to it, but you ended up going with uh, a guy that we spoke a lot about on our podcast, uh, Eugenio Suarez. Uh, and uh, it's basically, kudos to you. Uh, one of our last podcasts together, you had kind of mentioned him as kind of a sleeper for the rest of the season, and he started hitting uh, <laughs> he started hitting again. So kudos to you. But anyone that you 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 might think that uh, is worth, you know, uh, taking a chance on. At the yeah, I mean, I think I I think that there's several, right? I think that there's a lot of good reasons to still have faith in Yohan Moncada, to still have faith in Matt Chapman, to still even have some faith in Eugenio Suarez. His September was unbelievable, and to have faith in Alex Bregman. I mean, these are these are some bigger name guys that I think that can really rebound. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of, you know, the project one projection system doesn't like him, but others might, right? Like others might see it. You know, we've got a lot of time to come up to dig into a lot of these players. Mm-hmm. Projection systems don't do very well with things like swing changes or, you know, changes in approach that happen late because it can't really pick them up very well. So, you know, all it takes is one research article to be like, Hey, look what Eugenio Suarez did in September that 
changes people's outlook on him entirely. Right. Or we find out that there was an injury or we, you know, we learn all kinds of things. One of those guys is going to go back to being a legitimate number, uh, like a legitimate starting third baseman in fantasy. I'm just not entirely sure who it's going to be yet. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's move over to the outfield position and obviously uh, a stacked spot. Um, and also depends on the type of format that you play. And you mentioned Yahoo only requires you to start three outfielders. Uh, but uh, other providers like CBS, I believe ESPN as well, uh, require you to start five outfielders. So, um, I mean, obviously you have uh, the cream of the crop, uh, Juan Soto and, uh, you know, but talk to me about uh, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, who uh, is listed as fifth on the Austin uh, on the auction calculator. Uh, you know, I watch the Yankees every day. You know, I don't mean to repeat myself, but I've seen him get white hot. I've also seen him swing at pitches nowhere near the strike zone. Yeah. So I, I think it, it's really looking at his power potential, right? It's really looking at the amount of things that it thinks that he can do. Uh, it's looking at, it's looking at like just that general upside and that's really cool. And I don't think he can be drafted there. <laughs> like I, I, no way he comes out as number five outfield. Uh, that's just probably a product of, you know, looking at it briefly, it's gotta be a product of home runs. They must think he's going to hit 40 home runs. I don't have like the, the full projections in front of me. The calculator doesn't give you their number values. It just gives you the, it, it just gives you like the number of dollars it assigns to that category. It's giving him a seven, which is more than like anyone else. It's more than like Tatis. So they probably think he's just going to hit a bazillion home runs, but you know, something over 40, but yeah, I they have him at 42. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. And they have him a batting 266, 42 home runs and 112 RBI. Yeah. And 659 plate appearances like that. Yeah, that's yeah, very yeah. aggressive to mm-hmm. me. Um, I, I don't really see that. Uh, I, I think that he's going to be a player that people are really excited about. I, I think that he's probably going to go in the top 20. Yeah. He but he's not. Yeah. yeah. But I don't, I don't see top five or top 10. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't think there's just too much risk there. Mm-hmm. So that that's one that really did surprise me. Um, especially compared to the guys that are around him. Like I- I'm definitely taking Mookie Betts, Lewis Robert, Kyle Tucker, Starling Marte, probably even Tyler O'Neill ahead of Giancarlo Stanton, mm-hmm. uh, especially because they can give me the stolen bases and things like that. So I, I don't see that one, but there are a lot of interesting names uh, in-, in the outfield. I think mm-hmm. the first one that most people are thinking about, the one that I see pop up on Facebook groups and Twitter is Cedric Mullins. It puts Cedric Mullins in the top 15 or so, right? You have to remember that two guys aren't on here. Trout and Acuna aren't on here. We don't know how much really they're going to play. So got to fudge the numbers a little bit. So Cedric Mullins, it loves him, right? It really thinks that he's a, he's a top, you know, 30 to 35 hitter mm-hmm. in baseball. It thinks he's going to have 25 home runs, 27 stolen bases, a 257 batting average, which is a huge drop from the stuff he did in 2020 and 2021. So I think that I'm probably a little higher on him than that, but you know, and I think it did a nice job sort of lowering the power expectations. The power did come down as the season went on. So I do think that 25 is more realistic than 30, but this, you know, to me, this looks like a really strong projection. It looks like something that I would probably use as my baseline as well, like a 25, 25 guy. And I think that's just what we have to value. You know, you don't have to agree with that. You don't have to want to go in on that, but that's the baseline you need to be thinking when you're wondering where will my league mates draft Cedric Mullins? You have to be in that range that they'll value him as a 25, 25 guy. And really this whole range of outfield, like really everything from like 11 all the way down starts getting really interesting. Like it, I mean, it, it loves to ask Hernandez. It doesn't have him as the number two outfielder. Like he finished as, but it's got him in the top 20. The one that blew my mind was Eddie Rosario. It's got Eddie Rosario in the top 20. He wasn't close to that in the regular season, right? Like he's been a playoff hero, but he wasn't that good in the regular season. I know he struggled with, you know, he was in and out of the lineup sometimes, but like I Eloy Jimenez at number 25. I mean, is that only because he he played the last, you know, two months of the season? (laughs) I I don't know. I have him at 25. 
Yeah, I mean, because it's still projecting him for like 620 plate appearances, so it's not like they think he's going to miss a bunch of time. They just, I mean, uh, they don't have him scoring a lot of runs, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. they, you know, they've got him for uh, 33 home runs, 93 RBI, and maybe like, and a 265 batting average, and that's probably what's doing it, right? So it it brought his batting average way down from, you know, because of his batting average this last season. So it's putting a lot of value in that 2021. And I just, I think he's still more like the 2019, 2020 guy. So I'll have him higher than that. And yeah, I bet I other projection systems will too. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm, I'm still trying to get over Eddie Rosario. He was bad. Like he just wasn't very, I mean, he stole some bases, you know, he stole double digit bases for the first time since uh, 2015, mm-hmm. but he's going to be 30 next season. I don't see him setting a new record, which is exactly what Steamer projects. Steamer's projecting 12 stolen bases from Eddie Rosario. That's the most he'd ever have like in any one season in his career. And he's going to be turning 30. Like you don't see guys when they're 30 stealing more bases than when they were 23. Right. Right. Like <laughs> that's not what we see. And and it wasn't a very strong season. In fact, I mean, I guess it's fine if you combine it with like 2020 in terms of like home run numbers. So that'd be like a hundred and in those last like 168 games. It's close to hundred, like a hundred, you know, RBI and, and 30 home runs. No, sorry. 27 home runs. So steamer is, I don't know what they're on, but they've got 29 home runs, 12 stolen bases, a bunch of counting stats. Uh, okay, sure. Sure. I mean, his, his plate discipline is atrocious. Like if you want, if you, it's sort of like when you watch like those old Vlad Guerrero senior highlights of him, like swinging at balls in the dirt, but he hits them. Eddie Rosario does that too, but he doesn't hit them. Hmm. Right. He swings at everything. Right. And, and he's got a crazy low strikeout rate for a guy that swings as much as he does. And that is so aggressive. And, and that's just not going to last forever. Those guys don't age very well. Have you ever heard of Javi Baez, right? Like this is exactly what Javi Baez was like. And except he always struck out more than this, but yeah, I, I'm not nearly this high on Eddie Rosario, but you know, it's a heck of a playoff run he's on. Yeah. Uh God, he's hitting like four sixty five, you know, not counting the game that's on right now. It's like hitting four sixty five, seven seven sixty seven slug. Like that's pretty wild. And he stole a base. Hmm. So I I mean, maybe, sure. Sure. Why not? <laughs> it's shocking in a way to see Eddie Rosario uh at ranked fifteenth and Kristen Yelich at 19th. And uh, you really can't argue with what Steamer is projecting for Yelich because, look, I mean, he had a, a terrible uh, 2021 season and also a terrible 2020 season, and they have him for 26 homers and uh, 13 RBI and a 256 batting average. Shocking that he's fallen off that that quickly. Yeah, it is, and back problems will do that to you. Yes, they you know, will. um, back problems have just really sapped a lot out of him. Those back to back, you know, the, the seasons he had in, in 2018 and 2019 seem so long ago now, mm-hmm. right? After what we've seen over the last two seasons that it's hard to use those as a baseline. That's a ceiling at best. You have to be really healthy. I think that steamer projecting him for the 26 home runs, 13 stolen bases and, and, you know, fairly respectable runs in RBI and a 256 average. Like even that's a little rosy right? Like that's, that's a lot better than the Christian Yelich we've seen. So I do think that's still probably what people will draft for because of the crazy high ceiling. But as he gets older, you know, like he's entering his age 30 season backs don't get better after that. Like I'm only 33. And let me tell you, my back has not improved mm-hmm. the last few seasons, or the last few years. Right. And I don't play professional baseball. I don't put that much strain on it and it still gets worse. So uh, that that's something that, that I am worried about. And I'm once again, I mean, I was interested where he'd be drafted in, in 2021 and it was still very aggressive. And I think that drops significantly into the coming season. I'm just not sure where yet, but I'd be stunned if it's, if he's still not taken in the first 60 picks or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's uh, finish off with your favorite spot, the catcher position. Uh, who's who's uh, sticking out at you here? Well, the one that stands out to me the most, like obviously like the, the usual suspects are all up there, like Sal Perez at the top by a wide margin and don't get too confused. It's because he plays a ton. Mm-hmm. Like he plays every day. So him and Real Muto are really at the top. 
Yasmani Grandal, they like a lot. I was able to get him at a great value in the draft. Um, I was really happy about that. But Dalton Varsho. So Dalton Varsho, uh, it basically looks like there's a big drop off after like the top three. Dalton Varsho is the next one. It's got him playing quite a bit because he will play the outfield sometimes. Uh, He's more of like a backup catcher than probably a primary catcher. So that might get him closer to 500 plate appearances than than some of his peers. But they really like him because they think he's going to like steal bases and stuff, right? So 95 games this season, 11 home runs, six stolen bases. His final line wasn't that good. The 246, 318, 437. But keep in mind that in the second half where he did most of his playing 200 plate appearances, he hit 290, mm-hmm. right? So he, he improved significantly. Steamers got him as a 18 home run, eight stolen base guy hitting 250. That's definitely, I mean, they rank him as a top five catcher and those results definitely are top five catcher. Yep, there was, there was a lot of excitement about him coming into uh, the season and then, you know, he, he broke, can- you know, he didn't break with the team. And then when he did make the team, he wasn't doing very well. I didn't really pick it up till late. So I'm, I'm curious. I, I think that he's going to get a shot to be uh, a mostly everyday player. And if he can, I do think he's got like 20, 10, you know, 20 home run, 10 stolen base kind of upside. And I wonder if people will reach for him in drafts uh, because after that, it gets a really ugly, right? Like, after that, you're like, well, sure, there's still like Wilson Contreras, but then you've got, all right, Travis Darno was hurt a lot of last year. Can Buster Posey do what he did again? Yadi Molina, what what does he still have in the tank? Christian Vasquez, who had been a stud for a long time, had, had a really down year. Uh, when does Adley Rutschman play? Mm-hmm. Do you want to even deal with Gary Sanchez? I no, don't. No, no. <laughs> I don't, but somebody will. Because mm-hmm. somebody's going to be like, if you look at this, he still projects as a 35 30 home, home run, run hitter. Yeah, yes. <laughs> They're still going to do it. Yeah, yeah, 30 home runs and 40 RBI, right? <laughs> like, he'll find a way. That's Gary Sanchez. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not, you know, yeah. I, I'm definitely not a big fan. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he improved his batting average by, what, almost 60 points to get him up over 200 to 204 uh, from, from 2020. His last like 160 games. I mean, yeah, it's still home runs. If he plays a very full season, he can hit 30 home runs, but at what cost? Mm. Right. But at what cost? So I'm, I'm not really, I'm not really that interested. He's a, uh, he's a guy that you pick him because you didn't get enough power elsewhere and you just have to eat the batting average loss. Yeah. Don't bother. Just no, that, that's that's a pivot. You, you yeah. draft Gary Sanchez because you had to, because mm-hmm. you put yourself in a position where you didn't really have a choice because mm-hmm. you're not happy about it. And you'll get a week and a half of uh, decent play uh, at the plate, but uh, by the end of the season, a 199 batting average. Yeah, he hits three home runs in a week to give us content creators something to talk about, mm-hmm. and then he disappears again. Yes, absolutely. What what are these negative do- dollar amounts? Uh, I, I noticed uh, I sp- a couple like sub replace. I mean, they're, that means they're well below replacement, right? You don't want to think of zero as a replacement value. Mm-hmm. It just means that like letting these guys play for your team all season like hurts you a lot. It, it, it's again, it's a little weird. You don't want to think of it as replacement value. You sort of want to look at like where's the middle for that. Like what what really is the you know, when you want to try to figure out like what really is replacement value, uh, like if you're looking at second base replacement value is probably starting somewhere between like 15 and 20. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because then you're, you're really starting to see these dollar amounts like group together. Like is Willie Adamas that much better than Brandon Crawford? Right. Like he wasn't this last season. Brandon Crawford was awesome. Um, Willie Adamas was, but only after he joined the Brewers. So that's around where replacement level is. When you think of a replacement level, don't think of like zero. Think of like, how many do I expect to be rostered in my league? And who's the next one? Who's the top of the waiver wire heap? And in like a 12 team league where you don't have a middle infield, that's probably happening somewhere between 15 and 20. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Scott, great stuff. Good to be with you once again. And uh, we're going to be back November 11th, I think, is when our next podcast is going to drop. Have uh, off-season content for you all season long. And uh, follow me at Joe Galina. Follow Scott at If the Chew Fits. Follow our podcast at at Hacks and Jacks PL. Uh, If there's anything specific that you'd like us to cover, please reach out to us. Let us know. Uh, At Pitcher List Pods. Follow that. 
uh, Twitter handle. You'll be informed anytime a new episode drops for any of the great podcasts on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Scott, it's going to be fun the next few months uh, prepping for Fantasy Baseball 2022. It, it sure is. You know, I'm excited. I'm excited to get more into it. I'm excited to keep playing around with these projections and, mm-hmm. and see what's happening. And I'm excited to figure out what the heck anyone's going to do at third base. Yeah. Uh, because like that position really, if that, if you take one thing away, it's third base is weird and scary. All right. Well, as always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities and we'll see you next time. 